this episode. So you could be playing Grand Theft Auto, but you'd be playing an incredibly realistic, real-world version of it. <laughs> so, Are you saying it's not realistic? I <laughs> I don't know what to say, <laughs> but um, it's 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 its own thing. It's, yeah, it's got style. If they can make a hyper-realistic version of Stardew Valley, my mind will be blown. Do you really want that though? No. Because that's <laughs> <what you> hear. <laughs> These game engine companies they are actually being used for things like TV shows, car advertisements, architectural visualization, or background environments for TV shows. Most famously recently, Mandalorian. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I am Ariel, aka Wandering Orc and Never Skip Game Day, and I'm Danny Dutch, aka Danny Dutch TV. And here on Sisters Processing, we talk about everything from tech to life to tech life, whatever that is. Today, we have a topic that a lot of people are familiar with, at least in passing, and we're going to be talking about game engines and how far they've come. But before we dive into that, Danny, have you heard any good tech news lately? Yeah, so one thing we've talked about, we we touched on this briefly a couple weeks ago, about the potential TikTok ban. Well, they had oh. a hearing. Did you hear anything about that? A little bit. I saw and I read a few snippets. I saw a few snippets. I saw mm -hmm. you posted something on the yeah. Sisters Processing yeah. Instagram. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I just really took that over, didn't I? Uh, um, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> you're doing I an don't... awesome job. I'll jump in sometime, I promise. <laughs> oh, no. You're good. You're good. But essentially, the TikTok CEO uh, was testifying before Congress, the, the American Congress, about TikTok and answering questions about uh, any concerns that they have with privacy and data. And if you remember from our previous discussion, or if you're new to it, uh, the American government is concerned that TikTok is taking American citizens' data and doing mischievous things with it. Very unspecified, really. And their concerns are a little unspecified. Uh, yeah. And it's it's pretty unclear how it differs from how Meta and Google and all these other companies take our data and use it. As we talked about in the episode, uh, it's speculated that the government wants money, or they they just want the data for themselves. You know, it's or they want the biggest one of the biggest worldwide social media platforms to be an American company instead mm -hmm. of a Chinese company. Uh -huh. I don't know. But there might be more on it. There could be. There more could be, but it. watching the testimony, watching bits and pieces of it, I didn't watch the whole thing because I think it was like eight hours. But from what I saw, it didn't really seem like privacy concerns to me. It mm. seemed like a very money-driven play. Putting aside the dangers of the CCP involvement, and after these 32 hearings, I believe it's actually time to change the narrative, change the focus, and change the outcome by talking about the money you're making at TikTok. Mr. Chu, I have a question. How much revenue is generated per user? Congressman, we... Um, we'll private company, and you're not going to tell yes. me. Does each user receive a comparable benefit for the amount of profit their data brings to your company? Uh, we do share some revenue with some creators who produce, um, say, one-minute-plus informative Thanks. content. When am I going to get paid... 
for the data that you are selling or you're, have, you're getting revenue from advertisers. When am I going to get, get paid for the data you're getting from my children, my grandchildren, my neighbors? I think that's the only way to get your attention is talk about the money you're making and maybe that'll get you all to do what you're supposed to do. I respect and understand your opinion. Um, the vast majority of our users have a great experience. I sent a video recently as well. I got hundreds of thousands of comments. But what am I getting? Uh, it kind of sealed the deal for me when, you know, if their concern is privacy, they should really only be asking about privacy. They were asking about, isn't this destructive for kids' mental health? And like, uh, do you know how many kids have died doing TikTok challenges? And so and it's like, we're just changing the discussion completely now. I mean, how many though? And that, I, I doubt they know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, it's I, and it's question, also like, it's, that would be insinuating that these challenges start on TikTok and stay on TikTok. And no other place on the internet is a dangerous uh, unsafe space for kids. And that's just not true. And parents need to parent their kids. And like, it's just kind of crazy to me to pin it all on TikTok. And also that's not even the discussion. The whole discussion is about privacy and doing things with data. And it's not about whether TikTok is morally right or not. If that's the discussion, then we need to have a discussion about Meta and Twitter and Reddit. I think Reddit is worse than any of them, to be Reddit honest. can definitely be a cesspit of humanity. And then if you want to get even deeper and even worse, you go to 4chan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> Which I actually haven't really been to 4chan because Reddit is sort of like the filtered version. Right. And that's bad but, enough as it is. Yeah. So, I mean, not that, you know, honestly, I, I'll peruse reality TV show Reddits. <laughs> so sure. I don't comment or anything, but I mean, I need my love is blind tea. I need it <laughs> hot and ready. <laughs> well, that's, the, that's actually one of the cool things about Reddit is, yeah, you have the really terrible subreddits with awful things on them, but you also have just an incredible amount of really amazing subreddits. They're, each one is basically its own forum. So yeah. Reddit in general is a very interesting site for that reason. But yeah, uh, but I guess that also goes for like, you know, TikTok and Insta. There's, you know, some bad content and then there's some great content and there's a whole lot of mediocre content. And I feel like that's just across the board. Mm -hmm. But I do see what you mean, though, if they're picking on TikTok for especially safety issues or what it's doing to minors, only because I do believe, and I don't have it in front of me, so ev everyone out there, feel free to look it up, <laughs> hopefully when you're in a safe place not driving or something, but uh, the, I think it is proven now to damage teenage girls' self-esteem to the point where they're developing eating disorders and things like that, so... Mm. And that's just, again, homegrown Insta, so. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's That's not isolated to TikTok, you know? And there's also a lot of content on TikTok that would promote healthy eating. I uh, believe that. I think the whole concept of mukbangs, not the whole concept, but, you know, eating in front of the camera, a lot of people who suffer with eating disorders use those to feel more comfortable eating. As oh, like interesting. A, a coping mechanism to, you know, see someone eat and enjoy food and eat along with them while watching this video. So it's like, oh. you know, there's different content on the Internet that you can make an argument for better monitoring the content. 
but we I do don't need think more that's... protections. We do for sure, um, for sure. Yeah. But we don't need to shut down a whole platform because of these isolated incidents. I don't think. Yeah, it's it's also again, it's difficult to say. I haven't been watching the hearings. I should probably check in on them at some point. But uh, it's only once again, it, it's like what prompted this, like what truly prompted this, since I'm not like privy to. The in, uh, like I said uh, before, like the inside the Oval Office, I don't have their information. Maybe there really is something deeper going on. I will, you know, give it benefit of a doubt there. But also, if they're asking stupid questions, they're asking stupid questions. And if that's yep. really what it's about, like they, if they honestly care, they will start writing privacy privacy protection legislation and actually pass it <laughs> because that's the hard part. And yeah. I don't know. I think you have excellent points here. Yeah. I don't know. It just, you know, it swayed me to thinking that there it's not honorable intentions at all. Mm. It's about money. It's about stock prices. It's about a lot of the Congress uh, members owning Meta stock and oh, Alphabet I... stock. And they have very specific interests in boosting those stocks. And I, maybe I'm just a cynic, but I am a cynic. So, <laughs> I mean, sometimes it is good to be cynical when it comes to American politics. Yeah. It just is. All politics, I think. All politics, for sure. It's good to, it's good to pay attention. So, yeah. And um, I don't know where the hearing stands. I don't know when they're making a decision. I don't know if there's a finite deadline. But, and I didn't watch the whole hearing, so... Maybe I'm missing out on something. I just think if you are using all these arguments that have nothing to do with your central argument, there's a problem with your central argument. I could see that. So speaking of, you know, Congress being worried about minors and things like that with TikTok, did you hear that Utah passed an age verification law for anyone using social media? Really? Mm -hmm. So if a minor wants to sign up for a social media website, they have to have parental consent. It's not expected, according to NPR, that it will necessarily change the way America does business at this time because it's just Utah for now. Not to say anything against Utah. It's just it's not as populated as, you know, California or New Utah York. Utah also is a very conservative state being, well, I mean, the center of Mormon religion in America. I believe so. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. I don't know how they'll enforce it. It is going to force a social media site to essentially kick minors off at Ooh. night, like from a certain I see. time to a certain time. I have mixed feelings on that. I'm not really about curfews and things. Yeah. <laughs> but that's me. So Is it is it minors being under 18? Or under is 18, it, I believe. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not not really about that either honestly. Yeah, I could see needing some kind of protections, but also I'm not positive what exactly they're hoping to do with that, uh, considering if they're trying to cut down on like predators and things that I know that social media like has a really bad time about. I don't know that those people only operate during certain times of the day. And if somebody has parental consent to have an account, I don't know if that would make a difference. Mm. But it does seem good to do something. I'm just not sure what their end goals ultimately are. 
I can't imagine it catching on to the rest of the United States, but I could see it catching on to a couple of states. I could see Washington passing something, possibly. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think of other states that might follow suit. Yeah, Strangely well, Washington, enough, I, Washington, I cut this out of a previous episode, but Washington is the state that passed a law protecting children of like family influencers. Mm. So, you know, like family vloggers who post their children. I think it was if they post their children more than 30% of their content, then the child is entitled to a certain um, percentage of the income they earned from that content when they turn 18. Wow, that actually is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and also when they turn 18, they have a right to veto the content that their parents posted of them. Wow. I, I guess had <laughs> no idea. You That's know, I didn't incredible. I didn't cut this out of the episode. I guess I just never I decided not to talk about it. But it is it is incredible and I think that is very admirable cause. So That's a law that I would like to see spread to other states. Yes. For yes. sure, because especially if it could benefit the kid in a very real way in the future, at least then the kids the parents sort of Taking advantage of their kids' cuteness or what? <laughs> yeah. I think once upon a time, people just shared to share in the way that they were like sharing photo albums and stuff. But there are a lot of people now who will very intentionally just take a lot of videos of their kid because it's very popular and it makes them money. Yeah. So. And I, I mean, I definitely you know, know family influencers and people that there's really not a bad bone in their body. They're just kind of sharing their kid and they oh, happen no, to be famous. Life. Yeah. But there are also a lot of people that I don't know that, but I have heard stories that they'll kind of exploit their children to make a book online. Or it's just very obvious if you've ever come across their content and it, it really is all the main family channels you could probably think of. Yeah. I truly don't know much about it. You would definitely be much more in the know on this than I would. I'm just guessing, truthfully. Yeah. Based on well, humans and <laughs> yes, exactly. Where there's money, there is yeah. often greed and exploitation. And I think of all those like toddlers and tiara kind of shows mm-hmm. where people like live out their own dreams and project it onto their children and then make them like strut down a runway at like two. Yep. Dressed like they're a 40-year-old woman. Yep. <laughs> so, so weird. Fake teeth, so, wigs, eyelashes. Yeah. Creepy really, stuff. That's a whole thing in itself. <laughs> do you have any other news stories? I do, but do you have any before I dive in? No. <laughs> okay. Well, there's a few. I'm just going to go over a couple of them because I read a little bit and I don't have the articles in front of me, so feel free to, to look it up, anyone who's listening, but... A 3D, the first, as far as I'm aware, the first fully 3D printed rocket did successfully launch. It did not make it to orbit, but it did successfully launch. So it's Wait. still a milestone. <laughs> so <laughs> what happened to it when it launched? Um, <laughs> I, I believe it went to move back in with its parents. Oh, no. And so it did launch. It did launch, but it just, it couldn't quite make it to orbit. So it was like, no, I'm just going to go live with mom and pop and I'm going to work on my, work on 3D printing myself (laughs) as I grow, you know. You know, sometimes you just need to reset. That's uh, right. It's good that they had the support system to do that. 
Yeah, sometimes you need to recalibrate. You need to, what is it, uh, adjust the bed of yep. the printer. You yeah. <laughs> change check the, the nozzle. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Oh, that one? Yeah, check the ink. <laughs> yeah, make sure that, that logo is printed all like nice uh-huh. and crisp. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, that's uh, a, that is both exciting and a massive shame. Yeah, but it's probably, I mean, a lot of rockets fail to make it to orbit when they launch or they blow up or something. So yeah. the fact that it, it did as well as it did, I guess, you know, that's pretty awesome, especially for three, being 3D printed. This one is great. So I'm very excited about this next one. So the FTC is looking to implement a click-to-cancel provision where companies have to make it as easy to cancel a subscription as it is to sign up for one. Oh, Yes. Yes, right? I know. And so they're open to public comment either now or very soon. So if you are a fan of this, go leave a comment saying that you are very much in favor of this. Uh, But yeah, it's so I remember signing up for a very, very popular news media organization subscription back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, in order to cancel and you have to like contact them to do it. I didn't know that, but I had experienced that with a subscription model for different classes, gym classes in the area that whose name I will not say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Back in the day. Mm. They fixed it since then, but I, they made me message them and yes. wait for a response. Yep. <laughs> I also this- joined a gym once. This is, I mean, a little bit different, but I, I joined a gym once in New York City. And uh, they had you, they wanted me to write like a letter to them to like cancel. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Cancel, cancel it. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Just can- yeah. Just- me to write a letter. <laughs> Did you have to like dot your eyes with little hearts? Like it's been so lovely at this gym. Dear, <laughs> dear Jim, you and I, we've had good times together. Yeah. It's been up and down. It's been fast and slow. It's been probably pretty smelly and sweaty, mm-hmm. and your locker rooms are very gross. Yeah, actually. You know, it was in New York City. It was gross. Oh, <laughs> I've never been to a gym in New York City, but I do believe you. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you sign? Did you write the letter, or did you not? <laughs> no, I didn't write the letter. Oh. I said... <laughs> so I you're still said, a member of that gym, aren't you? <laughs> I probably I'm probably being charged. I don't even know it. I'm going to get a bill on my deathbed, and it's going to be for everything I own. Yeah. They're, they're gonna, gonna like, come hey. for my firstborn children. Yep. They're like, you've racked up, you know, ten thousand dollars <laughs> worth of unused gym debt. So Probably. let's uh we never got your letter. So uh <laughs> sorry to hear about your passing. Here's a bill. <laughs> but I am very excited about the click to cancel provision. That yes. Into. That uh, is so exciting. And it's supposed to be like I believe it's supposed to extend to things like uh, cable and internet companies. So if you can imagine, I think, I think, um, even if it's not, you can imagine like having to, even if you have to call in to cancel something, then somebody would have to say like, would you also like to hear about our special offers and promotions? And if you say no, they have to abide and they will not give you special offers and promotions and then just take you straight to cancellation. (laughs) So Uh instead of making you go through three different pages of that sort of thing so okay okay yeah so here's hoping here's hoping that one passes you recall in episode one we were talking about deep fakes and you had me listen to a whole bunch of audio like people's voices and things like that Mm -hmm. okay so just everyone be aware that especially in the wake of the uh war in ukraine right now 
the the AI generated scams that use fake audio to pose as family members who are in need of help are on the rise. And so that's not great, but just keep an eye out for that. And this one is, I'm super excited about this one. Are you familiar with Stable Diffusion and MidJourney, two image generating AI softwares that you actually told me that Getty Images was suing Stable Diffusion for stealing its imagery? I absolutely did not say that. I don't know anything about that. Oh, well, maybe you came, maybe you told me from the future because that's possible. So Getty Images is actually suing the creators of Stable Diffusion because you can even use Stable Diffusion and constantly the Getty Images stock photo watermark will come up and it will put it in the images that it creates. Okay. That's so how many have been stolen from Getty Images. So wait, uh, so an AI art generator mm-hmm. took Getty Images as a sort of database for creating new images and it, yes. it used them as a source to the point that it was including the watermark. Yes, I would imagine it was not necessarily even paying for them because the mm-hmm. watermark often shows up. And Stable Diffusion is also the AI generative uh, program that will include artist signatures and things. Whoa. So it's <laughs> not very good at, uh, like it will create unique things for you, but it also tears a lot of things, I believe from existing sources i see okay unlike other ones like i believe midjourney does a much better job of creating unique images and things like that stable diffusion is very much still in progress uh so yeah so getty images is is i believe they have a lawsuit open against the creators of stable diffusion which leads right into adobe ah so adobe has very recently unveiled their own generative ai that will potentially compete with Stable Diffusion and possibly the likes of Midjourney. Uh, and it is, and these are their talking points, it is 100% legally trained on Adobe AI stock and public domain imagery and open source imagery. So they say that everything that people use from it is safe for commercial use. Wow, okay. This is great in my book because I just it takes the moral ambiguity out of it yeah for me you're not like feeding off somebody else to like make your visions come true but where would you say where would you say it ranks as far as quality compared to mid-journey I haven't used mid-journey I've only seen what mid-journey makes I think mid-journey makes some pretty incredible imagery I would say that this one is called Adobe Firefly and it's going to be the first model, I think, that they do. They're going to do multiple models. I'm not even terribly sure what that means, except that they're going to have different AIs being trained, as far, I as, see. as far as I'm aware. So it looked pretty remarkable from the little video that they were showing. I think one of the things that is going to be incredible is they'll continue integrating it with their own tool set. So they showed in the video, there was the infill tool, which people may not be familiar with. It's where if you have like, a white shirt with a long like black dog hair on it or something that you don't want you can infill it and basically like go over it and it will like fill it in properly with the fabric and everything and that is already using I believe AI to to figure that out but that that looked incredible you can replace backgrounds you could say this person is wearing a white shirt is one of the examples that they showed I don't even think it was a white shirt but it was like 
short sleeve shirt and they replaced it with a red leather jacket. Wow. And it looked fantastic. They made them smile. They made them squint a little bit more to make the smile more realistic. They replaced the background and expanded it so that it included just plants and a window in the back with a little bit of furniture that was kind of blurred out. It was very impressive, I thought, especially for something that they brag about being 100% like commercially safe. Mm -hmm. So I have seen a couple of articles pitch that they think that they're too far behind, but I disagree. I think that the rate at which AI grows is so impressive, and I don't think Adobe's going to stop with this. I've, they've obviously pumped a lot of uh, research and time and money into it. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, I also think they have a really unique business model in that it is copyright-free, as you said. I think that's... Mm -hmm. I can't think of... I don't believe the other AI art companies have anything like that. Yeah, I don't... No, I think uh, ChatGBT, I know they say that you can use and sell the things that you make with it. So there is that. And I think that you, I believe that you can do it without attribution, but they encourage people to say that it was created with assistance from AI. So they do encourage that. Mm -hmm. Now, Adobe, I believe it would probably just be worked right in and you wouldn't have to say or anything. But also part of their pitch, and I really liked this part, is that they're very keen on compensating creators. So... I'm going to read a quote here from their website. Adobe is developing a compensation model for Adobe stock contributors and will share details once Adobe Firefly is out of beta. So they are actually looking to compensate the creators of the stock photos that might go into the image that you output, as far as I'm aware. That is how I'm interpreting that statement. But I think that's just super cool. That takes it way farther than as far as I'm aware, like any other... AI mm -hmm. uh, team is taking it right now. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> and I amazing. didn't expect it from Adobe. They they caught me off guard. So it yeah. makes sense, but I didn't expect it. I don't know. It was a weird, <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like, you know, we have all these different AI programs and companies coming out and developing new softwares. And I'm just, at this point, I'm just like, you know, this brings up a lot of new modern problems for mm -hmm. us that we're going to have to really rethink society as we know it. But at this point, the more the merrier. On it. That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm like, let's just keep creating them and just see how far we can race to the top and, you know, how close we can fly to the sun till our wings burn up. That's how I feel. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why not, Mine's Adobe? Not very close. Yeah, the sun comes out and my wings just turn red oh. like, immediately. Oh, that's no, kind of cool, though. Yeah, I mean, red wings are cool. They're cool until they start to peel. That's when it gets mm. gross. Yeah, that's Peeling, peeling wings are less attractive. But, yeah. however, uh, one of the, the things that looked really cool specifically about Adobe Firefly, a lot of the other AI I know is being pushed as like, oh, this is so cool. This is unique. You can create your art, whatever. But Adobe Firefly looks targeted at a lot of designers. So it includes tools in it that are very, very neat that obviously they're working into their systems. So one of the images that they showed in the video was a little painted, like almost a watercolor picture of a dog with a floofy, curly hair on the top of its head. Mm -hmm. And they sampled one of those floofy, watercolory type hair pieces, and they created a brush from it that they were then able to continue painting, and it, it made the hair bigger and continue painting over it and things. Uh, 
I don't know if I'm explaining this well. Tell me if it doesn't make sense. But no, I think I can see it. I'm not sure I understand how it's uh, different than like a clone stamp or something, you know, like well, it was tools I, we already have in Adobe. So it would have a brush that was created from it, I believe. And again, I'm just inferring here just from what I've seen and just from painting and in Photoshop and things like that in the past that I believe if you create a brush from it, it's going to take into account things like pressure sensitivity. It's going to take into account tilt, perhaps. Mm. It might actually be able to mix properly uh, with other paints and colors that are near near it okay. and things like that. As opposed to like a clone stamp or even like a, a healing brush or anything. It's going to look more natural. It's going to look like you painted it. Very cool. And it's, it's going to look like you meant to do that and not that you're necessarily adding on to the picture. Okay. Very impressive to me. Amazing. Mm-hmm. If you want to support our human-generated content, please do follow the show on all the major podcast platforms on YouTube. Leave a comment, like, subscribe, the whole deal. Leave five stars. It really, really helps. And follow us on our socials at Sisters Processing and Sisters Process on Twitter. And speaking of more, both human and AI-generated content, back to today's main topic, which you may have forgotten after all those exciting <laughs> news updates, uh, game engines. This is just going to be a general sort of rundown on game engines. I think a lot of people are at least, again, in a cursory way, familiar with them. Uh, according to a report commissioned by the Entertainment Software Association, two-thirds of Americans play video games on the regular. By the way, Ariel is coming yes. at this from the context of an indie <sighs> game developer. So background information. This is why she knows so much about the topic. And I am not on that side of things. I just like to play games. So I'm looking forward to learning about this. Please do tell us what is a game engine. And it might wind up being super boring and we might wind up cutting everything and just keeping the <laughs> news. So we'll Maybe. see what happens. <laughs> but uh, so a game engine is a piece of software that helps game developers create a game in a modular fashion. So you can it, it contains a lot of uh, reusable code. It has its own libraries that people can sort of plug in and work off of. It has generally has things like physics built in, depending on the game engine. And this is all to save the developers time so that they don't have to create everything from scratch all the time. So that they can focus on the creative aspect of it, the artistic aspect of it, even the really creative code pieces that they want to try but don't necessarily want to say, hey, when you jump, gravity keeps pulling you down mm -hmm. all the time, you know. So game engines have changed a lot over the years. Uh, in modern days, a game engine is going to be very much optimized. It's going to let your computer run games better and faster and longer, even if your hardware might not necessarily be top of the line. Do you recall when we were younger and hardware was so important <laughs> when mm -hmm. depending on like just it, it would determine just about everything, how often your computer would crash, what it could run, especially on PC and hardware is still important. I'm not saying it's not, but over the past, uh, let me see how many years, when do you think the very first video game was created? <laughs> Uh, well, what about early 1990s? 
I think. think Or actually, maybe sooner. Maybe sooner. Maybe. Well, are you thinking PC or are you thinking just in general? Any old video game in the history of our known world. Do you know the answer to this? Is that what you're asking? I do know the answer. Okay, okay. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to say 1983. Okay. History.com says one of the earliest video games was created in 1952. What? Yep. By Professor A.S. Douglas. And it was called uh, OXO. Or not X not because he was British. He was a British professor. And it was basically tic-tac-toe. Okay. So it has been, that's math. Like, I don't know. That's a lot of math. How many years? <laughs> How many years is that? <laughs> like, uh, like 70 years. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. That sounds like 75. No. Wait, 70, what did you what? say? No. 53? <laughs> is that what you said? 52. 52. 52? Okay. Yeah. So uh, 71 years. Doing math. Okay, yeah, yeah, 71 yeah? years. I, I think that sounds right to me. <laughs> I'm going to be very embarrassed well. later. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so those were back in the days before game engines even existed. So at the time, up until probably around the mid 80s, most games were just created from scratch every single time. And then game engines started being created, again, as a software that would allow someone to make a sequel or a game that was similar to the first game because platforms that they were exporting to generally had a lot of really varied code. So prior to this, the code would have to be rewritten every time from the ground up to make sure that they could fit on an arcade or a console or insert platform here so a couple of game engines that people may be familiar with in this day and age very popular game engines i think everybody's heard of unreal it made waves uh over the last couple years especially even among people who were not necessarily game engine savvy they started Mm -hmm. seeing the really beautiful things that were coming out especially out of unreal 5 like what and then uh well i will get into those okay (laughs) i will it's it's very impressive and i can't wait to tell you about it because it's it's really exciting (laughs) um but they're sort of in uh their their main competitor i would say at this point in time is the unity game engine which is incredibly popular among indie developers especially but is moving into triple a titles as well you use unity don't you i use unity in a general sense i've been using it since i think 2007 i want to say i've been using it since 1952 (laughs) back when not it's not yeah uh but yeah so since like the 50s or so okay okay um it was just a baby program back when i started using it it was nowhere near on par with unreal at the time there were a lot of doubts as to whether it ever would be i always had the faith i'm just saying uh, another really popular game engine, uh, too, actually. Game Maker is another incredible... You have I, used Game I've Maker. I've used Game Maker, yes. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the games that you made with it or what you used it for? Okay, I'm going to try to remember because I used okay. this when I was a kid. Back uh, in the 50s. Back in the 50s. I <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> back when I uh, was a hoop stick champion. Yes. Which is a game where you push a hoop I was, with a stick. <laughs> I was just entering my beatnik stage. It's and that's, really intense. Yeah, and that's what I made with Game Maker. No, uh, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I made some really random stuff with it. Um, I did manage to make like a 3D game at one point, which was, it just had levels, like platforms and platforms, and you would like climb these platforms to God knows oh, where. 
Wow. I don't know what I it was. I forgot to play your games. I well, that's probably like one of them. That's probably for the best. <laughs> oh, do you still have any of them? I don't know. I don't. Um, and I think, I mean, I'd have to credit my my other sister. I think we would team up on some games sometimes. So who knows what shenanigans yeah. we were up to. I really, I really can't say. We were very wild, into wild the, times. I guess they would be a, kind of a puzzle category and a lot of dialogue, you know. Yeah, as it should be. As it should be. <laughs> a lot of dialogue about the good old hoop sticks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what one does with hoop sticks and how one plays hoop stick. All, yeah, although the uh, the platform game was... No dialogue was in that game. Oh. It was pure existential crisis. Exhilarating action? Existential crisis? Oh, yes. Oh, my. Please do do expand I, on that i wish i could resurrect it but it's imagine being lost in in an abyss that never yeah. ends and all wow. you can do is climb all you can do is climb platforms oh my and goodness. not not fall and if you fall in the wrong spot you will become the platform oh my god really? there's no way out that is like the most brilliant idea I've <laughs> ever heard for a video game, and I, I love it. <laughs> I assure you, it was a mistake, but <laughs> it was a happy mistake or a, a sad mistake. It was really, it's that's why it's ex- existential. It's really up to mm. you what you make of it. Wow, I love it. It's, it was the when you fell and became a platform, mm-hmm. was it one of those, it's not a bug, it's a feature kind of situations? Or did you really mean to do that? It's all about perspective. You know, yeah. it's all about yeah, perspective. That's right. But so yeah, Game Maker, another incredibly still very popular. Danny, please, I would love it if you jumped into that again. I actually have it on my computer and I do want to mess around with it a little bit. Maybe I'll recreate the platform uh experience (laughs) the existential crisis i love that as just an idea for a game in general (laughs) i just want to play it (laughs) i can can see it so clearly but i you were very good at painting that image i feel like i can see it very clearly (laughs) at this point (laughs) okay so yeah other than game maker again uh godot is rising in popularity. Some people may have heard of it. It's actually the next game engine that I would love to jump into hmm. after Unity. So after I finish my current game, I would love to pop into Godot and sort of wade about and test the waters and see how it goes. It has multiple scripting languages, and one of them is mine. It's my favy, but it also has my second favy. So it could be a really good potential partnership. And Danny, I think you might actually like that game engine as well. Yeah. It's very good for... A lot of people say that it's really excellent for like 2D work. It's completely free and open source. And that's one of the things that people love about it. Very cool. (laughs) It's 3D elements are up and coming. They're still working on those. With Godot 4.0, they introduced uh, things that I'm going to say these words. If they don't make sense, I will definitely (laughs) describe them. But I believe global illumination. They have contact shadows. So the lighting really looks a lot better. The shadows used to look really, really bad. And now it is, it's come a really long way in a very short amount of time. And it's really just people just working on it. Hmm. Open source. What so. makes you want to switch to that platform? There is a part of it that I really like the challenge. I remember the early days of Unity and how it was, you had such really intense uh 
uh, polygonal limits, and that is when you are making a game character, let's say, it is actually made up of a whole bunch of flat little faces mm. that come together to create the illusion of a smooth surface. So those flat faces are known as polys. And they are actually divided up into tries, but now we're getting... Oh, boy. Now we're getting <laughs> uh, so each one is like two triangles makes a quad, right? Two triangles mm -hmm. makes a square. So that's how it all works. And then the math just interpolates all those, and it can create a smooth surface, or it can create what we call a faceted surface. And that is where you can actually see all the edges of everything. Think of a table and the hard edges, right? As opposed to your face, which is very smooth. So there were very intense limits on Unity back in the day. Let's just talk about what it was like before game engines. So once upon a time, before Unity, Unreal, Game Maker, Godot, Construct, you know, all the different seemingly countless and accessible game engines that are in existence that pretty much anybody can use, uh, they, game engines just obviously at some point they didn't exist. <laughs> so people would code their games from scratch and that all, then all of that code had to be altered by hand. I'll call it by hand, but by a programmer's hand, I guess, mm -hmm. from platform to platform. So that would be from arcades to consoles or whatever it was that they were publishing or porting to. When game engines came into the play, um, it made things a lot easier, especially if you were creating the same kind of game with the same kind of system, let's say a robust dialogue system or open world system, then you could make sequels, you could make other games that were based around that system. I'm going to fast forward a few years, give or take, maybe from when? 20, um, so from the mid 80s, I'm going to okay. fast forward to around 2009. So when I started working professionally with game engines, which I had previously just dabbled, uh, like I mentioned in Unity and uh, different things like that. And so I was working with the Source engine. Uh, at the time, the really big engines that mostly ran the AAA titles that people loved were either in-house, so like Square Enix had their own engine that they worked on with uh, dedicated programmers and everything, or the ones that were publicly available was generally the Source Engine, which worked, uh, which you would recognize probably from Half-Life, the Half-Life series, and that was Valve. Does that sound familiar? Okay. <laughs> um, it does, but I never actually played Half-Life. Uh, you know what? I haven't played it either, but yeah. Portal was also created. In I also have not played engine. that, but I, I've, I oh. am familiar. I have to highly recommend Portal. At the very least, the original Portal. It's short. Mm -hmm. It's sweet. It's like perfect. <laughs> it's okay. full of humor. It's excellent. It'd be a good streaming game, just saying. Yeah, I'll put it on the list. So the Source Engine, and then of course, Unreal, which most people, I believe, are familiar with today if they do dive into the background of of video games and how they're made. Uh, back then it looked very different, was extremely unwieldy. I swear with all of these engines that were available, although I never used CryEngine, so I can't speak on that. But at the time their UI had not been designed, I think by anybody who was not a programmer. <laughs> so mm. if, if you or I were to dive in, for instance, it would be very confusing. It was very confusing. It was very convoluted. There were a lot of things that people had to do on the back end, for instance, when I used to upload 3D models into the engine for source, I used to also have to edit a separate INI file. And I could do it right in Notepad, but I had to edit it and say, 
this it needs reflection or it doesn't require reflection and maybe alter a few things about the model and I had to do it in text and I had to do that for every single one <laughs> so, okay and there were a lot of models that were going into yeah. that engine for that tedious. project <laughs> yeah it was it was tedious so now that you kind of were kind of setting the stage for where game engines were at that time and how they took a lot of time and a lot of precision and expertise and things could leak very easily. Um, and by leaking, I mean that you might forget to set a limit on how far the camera could render or where it shouldn't render or what it shouldn't render. Or you might forget to put a limitation on the scene so that I'm trying to think of how best to describe this. But a leak is just a code leak where it is sort of calculating infinitely Mm -hmm. And it will freeze your computer. So you had to be very careful with uh, things like that in game engines. They can still happen now, but I do feel that it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to avoid them in mm -hmm. this day and age. So in the modern day where things have come. Okay. So I, we're back in 2023. <laughs> we're back in okay. 2023. That was a fun time travel trip. Yeah. Thank did you, you like that? We just it's traveled like from what, the 50s? All the way. I mean, to... we've come a long way in the past however many minutes. This we have. And that time traveling included Danny's existential crises platforming <laughs> and edited I and I files and memory leaks and all kinds of things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's possible that was the origin of the time travel uh, wormhole. Yeah. It but you'd, you would have to play the game to know for sure. And I hope that we get to play that game. Uh, <laughs> really, I'm going to really recreate do. it, if nothing yeah. else. Um, so also, it's worth noting that in game engines back in the day, you really had to know how to code in order to get anything working, at least from my knowledge. Uh, there were a couple different game engines that tried to mix it up. Um, I'm not sure how old Construct is. But I know that it was created by a team that I believe, and it's, this, is, this is all from memory, so I think this is true, uh, that used to work on the Game Maker team, but they really wanted to make something that required no code at all. So around the time when I was working with Game Engines, Construct may or may not have come out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> worth looking at, but for most of the bigger Game Engines, you had to know how to code if you were okay. going to make anything cool or anything unique or kind of just anything honestly. So okay. <laughs> if it wasn't a mod, you kind of had to know some form of programming language. So you don't need to know how to code now in order to use these. You do not. Actually. I will say I don't remember coding anything at all when I was messing around in Game Maker. So Game like Maker? Early 2000s or something. Yep, that was another anomaly. It was very cool. Game Maker, once again, that is a fully 2D game engine. People have done 3D work in it. Um, as Danny mentioned, she did a bit too. But it is it can be difficult to do it as opposed to a 3D game engine. <laughs> I found it <laughs> so simple. Well, you are a genius. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, yeah. Um, it a, I, I made a nightmare. It's easy <laughs> well, when you're, you have no goals. Is it a nightmare or is it just a really intense dream? You know, it's a fever dream, an existential dream. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, Game Maker was another program that when would you have been using it? Whereabouts? <sighs> Probably early 2000s. Yeah. Late, late 90s, early 2000s. 
Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, you could do most things in Game Maker as well, I think, through their... I, was it a drag and drop system? I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember. It's yeah. been a really long time. Okay. Yeah, so Game Maker was another example of not really needing to code. But Unreal um, came out with something, and I'm not sure which version it was in, called Blueprints. And it's an entirely node-based system, so you could create more complicated and complex AAA titles without coding at all so yeah and they've had that for a bit and it is something that I know several people who work in the industry I will say the industry of gaming or gaming adjacent (laughs) who do use blueprints and find it very robust they can Mm. really do a lot of things with it every once in a while uh, they have to dive into code in order to get something that they really want working um, but for the most part, it's it's very robust. Unity also has a node-based uh, scripting system now. So, yeah, that's one thing that game engines are really trying to overcome and make it more accessible for people who mm-hmm. don't even code. So if you're an artist and you're looking to jump in, you know, it might be worth it now. This is the perfect time to jump in because this is not the only advancement. They also, I can't speak for Unreal now because I mostly use Unity, but it runs... Uh, fairly fast. It builds extremely fast. I remember building in Unreal back in the day and it would just take absolutely ages and I was just modding things. Mm-hmm. So, And it would take so long and that would have been Unreal if, 3. If someone were to jump into it now, where would, what program would you recommend that they start with? Oh man, that's such a tough one because it goes into what you are trying to do. So we may as well jump right into where game engines currently stand graphically as well as other things. Uh, If you are looking to create a photorealistic scene with um, a 3D photorealistic scene, that is, with a lot of polygons in it. Once again, polygons are the things that make up 3D models. So the count can be rather important if you're if you start getting into the millions Mm -hmm. uh in a scene um and once again it used to be you could have thousands perhaps and before that potentially hundreds and before that just very very few so now you can have millions if you use let's say unreal and their nanite system so with 3d models and games what you're actually seeing if you're looking at let's say a tree or something you might see all of the leaves really up close, okay? So this is called mm-hmm. level of detail, what I'm, what I'm about to explain here. So when you see them really up close, you might see all the different leaves on like a pine tree, right? All the little needles and things like that. And then if you see it at a medium distance, the game engine knows to replace it with a lower uh, quality tree mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter that much because you're not as close to it. And then if you see it from an extremely far away distance like if it's in the mountains or something it might even replace it with a 2d image that just looks like the tree Mm -hmm. and you will if it does it smoothly enough you won't even notice so that is level of detail that's what unreal's nanite plays with and that's why it can have millions of polygons in a scene at a time so if you're looking to create like highly realistic deserts or really incredibly detailed environments and you want it to load real time and you want it to load really, really fast. I think Unreal is really good for that. If you are, it also has um, for characters, 
something called metahuman. And I have something very special for Danny in a moment that has to do with metahuman. But so excited. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so metahuman is a relatively new product that, un- that Epic or Unreal is coming out with. And that is you can kind of create, not kind of, you can create custom characters that are supposed to be realistic or photo real. MetaHuman Animator contains the essence of our 4D pipeline, but optimized to run on a single machine. It is able to use iPhone, as well as stereo professional systems, and today we're going to demonstrate how it works. For this, we're going to need Mel, our technician John Cook, and just the phone. Action. I need performance capture to work like a mirror. I need it to capture whether I'm acting scared or angry. And sometimes, all I need is a look. Cut. From now on, it's just a single button click to kick off the processing, which for a performance of this length will take less than a minute to convert into animation. I need performance capture to work like a mirror. I need it to capture whether I'm acting scared or angry. And sometimes, all I need is a look. So the same take works even on stylized characters. It's not perfect. There are some issues. It's still in beta, though, so I think they're going to iron them out, and I think they're going to do really cool things with it. Now, not to be outdone, (laughs) uh, if you are looking to create something apparently with really realistic, incredible-looking humans, you could look at Unity. So Unreal came out with Nanite. It was amazing. Unity uh, came out with a a video and a demo uh, called Enemies, I believe. And it features a person where you can zoom in on their face and see the peach fuzz. You can see all the moles, the wow. just the details in their eyes. And one of the things that they have is individual strands of hair, which is previously that would have been so incredibly expensive to calculate. Over the last few years, there have been several hair simulation uh, plugins and things. Uh, but this is now it's being built right into the engine and they've mm-hmm. really been focused on getting realistic creatures and fur and hair and people. So if you're looking to create a AAA game with really good looking people, apparently, you might hop on over to Unity. If you're looking to make a 2D game where you still don't have to code anything, you could go to Game Maker or Construct or a million others um, or Godot actually, which is good for both now, apparently. But you're probably not going to create a AAA-looking 3D title with Godot. What would you say is the most impressive thing about game engines today? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, a very uh, very complicated topic, and everyone's probably going to have a different answer. But to me, the most impressive thing is that uh, game engine developers have really come a long way in implementing optimization, which is why like the individual hair strands can run in real time. They've gotten really incredible with their game engine magic at making it work with graphics cards or even just with the the uh, the CPU just running through that because I definitely was on a computer without a graphics without a dedicated graphics card for a while and it still ran a lot of games. Look, mm-hmm. game engines are are really beefy now. <laughs> Back on the the subject of the sort of game engine arms race between like Unity and Unreal, these game engine companies are acquiring bigger and sometimes film industry companies to try to implement their techniques real time now. 
and they are actually being used for things like TV shows, car advertisements, uh, architectural visualization, things that are actually outside of the purview of traditional games. So in terms of animation, they're now using these programs to create hyper-realistic simulations for video games and commercials. Yeah, or background environments for TV shows. Most famously recently, Mandalorian, I believe, uh, used the Unreal Engine in a specialized room, and they projected the background of what was happening in the game engine as the actor walked through it. So it wasn't just a pure green screen experience anymore. Mm -hmm. The actors had sort of an idea of the environment so they could interact with it. The director could move the camera, and as they moved their camera, it would actually reflect in real time in the engine so that you could see what the background looked like as it rotated around. And it apparently makes things a lot easier for filming now than just doing it straight on a green screen. That's (laughs) amazing. Wow. Being able to see the actors point at things and see what they're looking at was pretty transformative. It gave everybody context with the added benefit that if you want to move a mountain from there to there, you can do it instantly. You could switch between the Iceland location to the desert location, all within the same day of shooting. The ability to shoot a 10-hour dawn is extraordinary. To shoot any sequence where you say, oh, this world's not quite right, let's just move it a little bit. An extraordinary number of benefits and advantages for shooting in that environment. Yeah, it's some incredible tech. Um, and they acquired a company called Quixel, which is was pretty famous in the industry for really incredible photogrammetry models. And photogrammetry is you're literally taking images, photos of any object in real life, most often static objects. So like, let's say your mic stand and you want to recreate it in 3D, you could take a series of photos that rotate all the way around it and then an algorithm will actually convert it into a really realistic 3D model. So Mm. Quixel was famous for doing that uh, and having foliage and rocks and trees and all sorts of viable models that you could buy and put in your game. Um, Epic and Unreal acquired Quixel, so it's actually like integrated into their system now. Unity, on the flip side, uh, again, not to be outdone, I suppose, acquired a portion of I'm not sure how to say it. It's a New Zealand company. I've always said it the same way, and it's probably wrong. Weta Digital. So I just wanted to give you a little sneak peek of how far this this technology has come and where it's going. This video is already a year old, for what it's worth. But uh, this is the Enemies demo trailer that I was talking about for Unity with the the really incredible lighting and animation that's all real time and the strands of hair and the peach fuzz on the skin and the moles and everything. So if you want to take a look at that, try to look for details and things that you think could be better because I do think there are things obviously to be improved, but it's pretty incredible the way it is as well. Okay. Um, I'm pulling it up here, full screen and play. I have in my head everything that anyone has ever known. You have in your heart everything anyone has ever felt. Power is given only to those who dare to lower themselves 
and pick it up. So you just showed me a video, a demo by Unity with a kind of mysterious little video of a woman uh, underneath a a spiral staircase playing chess. She picks up a chess piece. It catches on fire. You can see shadows really well. You can see the pores in her face. My first, the first things I noticed about it, I thought her clothes and the textures of her clothes looked very realistic. I could Mm -hmm. definitely tell that she was animated. Mm -hmm. And then I thought it got better the closer that it got to her face by the end and the more definition you could see in her face and everything. So very, very cool. I mean, it's it's absolutely come so far in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and I think this demo kind of shows the things that they're focusing on. Cloth simulation is also historically extremely, extremely expensive in mm. video games, especially when, if you're trying to get realistic. Hmm? And when you say expensive, you're talking about the resources of the computer. Oh, yes. Ah, sorry. I am so used to just using that term in terms of uh, <laughs> like graphically expensive, uh, processing wise, very expensive. Shaders are expensive. Okay. Yes. So when I say expensive, it's basically anything that's going to make your game slow down, anything that's going to make it not run at its full frames per second. Uh, and it's going to essentially put slowdown in the system that is something that is expensive or computationally expensive Mm -hmm. so yes when I say expensive thank you for bringing that up because I I probably said it her clothes did look expensive I guess yeah I mean they were very fancy that fabric you know (laughs) was not pulled from a thrift store she was like shopping chic Mm -hmm. (laughs) somebody made Mm -hmm. that for her yeah I only say that because I shop at thrift stores and I love them so you know (laughs) Uh, but I haven't found any clothes like that yet I'm holding out. Uh, one day. One day. Just exactly one day. One yes. day I will find it. <laughs> and uh, never again. <laughs> yes, just only that one day. And if I don't get there on time, I'm not getting that shirt. So mm-hmm. I just have to go back every day until I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so clothing and, and live simulation with changing where the wrinkles fall. It's something that happens so naturally in life, but something that in a game engine or in a simulation, again, historically has just been very difficult to compute and it would slow down the system a lot and it was difficult to get real time or or frames per second or so that your eye did not perceive slowdown it was difficult to get all of those different curves just moving constantly in, in the cloth simulation so things like that when I say that uh, these engineers who are who are creating these engines when I say that they have gotten so good at optimization like they definitely have and these are the things that they're focusing on. They're trying to mimic life and they're trying to make it run faster and faster. And I believe future goals is probably to get things like this working with virtual reality, with VR, Mm -hmm. with augmented reality. Now this right now would be, I would say, probably too computationally expensive to put in those things reliably unless you probably had a very specialized team. Uh, VR is, it's two screens as opposed to one. You have a screen for each eye. So it's Mm -hmm. rendering everything twice, 
which automatically slows everything down. Okay, so if you were to incorporate this now, it's more likely to crash. If you're doing it in VR, I would say more than crash, it would just slow down. Okay. You wouldn't you wouldn't be able to move as quickly as you wanted. You wouldn't be able to see things change in the scene as quickly as you wanted. I and the the frames per second, the rate would just drop mm, okay. to very, very slow. If you've ever played a game and it lagged on you and you're you're moving your camera and it's just like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, 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 that's the worst. That's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That Got kind it. of slowdown. <laughs> so, uh, but obviously VR technology is going to keep getting better and better as well. And game engines keep optimizing so that you can run more advanced and impressive things on really low hardware. I mean, you can see this even on the iPad today. You can see mm -hmm. fully 3D games that look pretty good. I mean, Alien Isolation is on the iPad. Did you know that? I actually didn't know that. Great yeah. game. Yeah, it is. Genshin Impact as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. And uh, Apex Legends, Divinity, mm -hmm. Original Sin 2. I'm trying to pull out ones that look really, really nice on the iPad. Yeah, that's all that's all very impressive for a, a touchpad. It's yep. crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think obviously this is all getting better all the time. It's going to keep getting better. Uh, but yeah, things that game engines, I think on the on the list of things that they are trying to improve are realistic lighting and shadows. Unreal is doing great at this. Unity is doing great at this. Godot's just getting started. Game Maker, I'm not sure if they have an an integrated 2D lighting system, actually. <laughs> My they? platform is falling behind. Well, you could go to Godot. They do have an integrated 2D Never. lighting system. Never. Never. No, you're de you're dedicated. I'm a ride you know or die. You are loyal. Ride or die game maker. That's mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I believe in the future they're just going to keep improving shadows and lighting. They're going to keep trying to get more realistic and high, uh, I'm going to say poly count, but I'm going to also say high detail, um, 3D models and resolutions. They're going to keep pushing it up, especially as screens keep getting bigger and bigger. They're going to want to emulate real life as much as possible while still creating the opportunities for people to stylize the lighting and the look of things. Mm -hmm. There's um, a whole lot of technology changing in the form of shaders, which is when programmers actually talk directly to the graphics card and tell it to render something differently than it actually is. And to give an example of this, because I know that's a really confusing sentence, <laughs> um, you can put in some uh, what they call shader code or shader logic. And it can, I have seen people do incredible things. I've seen them take a, a basic 3D model of an ice cream truck and strictly by telling the graphics card that this is what they wanted it to do. It made the truck melt into the ground and nothing actually changed about the 3D frame of the truck. It wasn't actually, I mean, it was still the truck that it always was, but the, the graphics card was interpreting that all of its different faces that it was made up of were mm -hmm. moving down into the ground. Okay. So graphics cards can do that and it's, it's very impressive and Engineers have worked with shaders for a long time, but shaders have come a really long way. So a lot of times people will use a shader for something as opposed to building it from scratch now. 
So that does happen more frequently. Does that make sense? Does any of that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. I mean, it makes sense. I, I guess I'm curious why you would use that method versus actually just telling it to telling the truck to morph or move into the ground via the program. Sometimes, and this can vary depending on how well the code is structured or what exactly you are trying to do, sometimes it can be, I'm going to use that word again, it can be less expensive. It can actually be faster to have the graphics card interpret it for you mm. than it would be to, uh, this kind of goes into a more technical side, than, than putting bones and rigging or even vertex animating that truck to do the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And that would be an animator's job. That would be uh, an artist's job with shaders. A programmer can do it. And it may or may not, depending on how it's structured, be it may run quicker okay. in real time. So it definitely has its advantages with shaders, and they are being used quite often. Another uh, fun, I'll call it a fun change in modern game engines is when you think of a texture or a picture or a piece of like let's say you're trying to put a, a like a photo of gravel and you're mm -hmm. trying to put that in an engine so that you can make a texture for the ground that is made of gravel uh what would you think that process looks like microsoft paint Microsoft Paint. You can mm -hmm. use Microsoft Paint if you want to. You absolutely can, and you always can. <laughs> uh, so the way that textures used to be made, again, when I started, this is how most of the time they were made. Uh, I guess I'll go back a little further. So textures used to not really... No, I won't go back that far. Okay, so... Sorry. <laughs> uh, so that when I first started getting into... Uh, when I first started working with game engines, textures were raster images, which means that they were made up pixel by pixel and you couldn't scale them or else they would lose their resolution. They would get fuzzy. They would get aliased. So you made them at a, at a larger scale than you needed. And then you would uh, down res it or rescale it to fit exactly a very small texture size so that it could go into the engine and run very quickly but we would put those together in photoshop or you would bake a texture out of a 3d program to fake shadows and things because shadows were also very very difficult for the game engine to render real time at the time uh, now with textures you do not even necessarily ever have to enter photoshop you don't need a flat pixel or raster texture anymore these days people are creating them entirely procedurally. So they are altering nodes in a program that just creates it completely from scratch. And it's 100% it's editable. Hmm. You can pop it right in the game engine. So if you are making that gravel texture or anything that you need, you can say, oh no, I wanted the stones to be bigger. And then you just pull a little slider and all the stones are bigger and it's fine. And you never have to touch really like a like a 2D art program at all. Mm -hmm. Does that program run off of AI or how is it running off of a bunch of stock samples and allowing you to use it? 
so it doesn't need stock uh it is actually so it's completely procedural which which means that you are layering mathematically generated patterns over each other and it is creating an output that can look very realistic mm. so it's a strange one but uh, if anybody out there is familiar with a fractal pattern, just a, it kind of looks, let me see, or a cloud pattern. It's just going to look kind of fuzzy, but it's created completely by math, which means that you can adjust sliders and it will get, uh, parts of it will get darker or bigger. And then when you actually layer that over something like a triangle, you can create tiles or, or a square rather, because I don't know how many people have triangular tiles for you rebels out there in your fancy bathrooms. So then the rest of it kind of works like Photoshop. If you have ever used like multiply or overlay or difference or any of those filters that mm -hmm. go over it, you so you would essentially put these mathematical, uh, mathematical like algorithms, uh, like the, these images that are created over each other and mm -hmm. through a series of multiplies and overlays and transparencies you then get like a realistic texture okay very yeah. cool yeah it is very cool it's also a specialized kind of skill set that people need to learn now if they are going to work in games at all so okay. yeah so that's a fun one i'm pretty excited about those kinds of textures <laughs> there's a part of me that still loves just painting in photoshop <laughs> or you know mm -hmm. the classics yeah but. does that technology come with the game engines or is it is it a specific program people should look up it's actually both so what i use normally is the adobe bought them a couple of years ago, but the Substance Suite is normally what people use, and that would be Substance Painter and Substance Designer. And Designer gives you a little bit more creativity if you're going into a straight procedural mindset. It's a node-based system. Substance Painter, you can integrate a little bit more easily the traditional painted textures with procedural textures that you layer on top. Substance Painter is kind of like the Photoshop for 3D if you're texturing. Um, so that's an, an external program and internal programs, uh, both Unreal, I think Unreal has this. Uh, oh, wait, I know Unreal has this. So you can create what you call like procedural shaders, again, in either Unreal or Unity as well. And Blender, you can do the same thing. So uh, pretty much any 3D software, I think, worth its salt these days is going to have this capability somewhere in it. Well, it sounds like game engines have come a long way over the years. Is there anything that you think they still need to improve upon or anything that they are working on actively to be better? Yeah. So I think other than clothing and hair, uh, they need to improve. Well, it is difficult, still, still very computationally, it can be difficult to render the same level of detail that you recall uh, Unreal, I mentioned really high detail rocks and things like that, or cityscapes in the case of a lot of people may be familiar with the Matrix game that came out with the new movie. Wait, so the Matrix made a video game? Was that for promotional purposes or? Uh, yeah, so I would say it was more of a demo and it was for promotional purposes, but also to showcase the cool tech that they were using because I believe they actually were another company that used Unreal in their production. So the urban landscapes the cityscapes 
that were in the demo were hyper-realistic, and that used Unreal's Nanite technology to render it quickly and efficiently, and you could drive through it real-time, and mm. throughout the entire city, they had uh, AI-driven characters that were supposed to react realistically. They called them photoreal characters. Again, I think they could have looked better, but they did look good. So on that note, just uh, so again, so static things like city buildings, like rock faces, like cliffs, like pebbles, those things are becoming easier and easier to render at a really high speed with incredible detail to them. But the things that need to catch up are the deformable objects. So things like trees that sway in the wind, right? So moving things mm. or organic things like humans, uh, which is why that Unity demo was so impressive because they were focusing on getting like a high level of detail in something that moves and, and morphs and changes. And that's very difficult to do, something that deforms like that. And I'm saying, I guess, deforming in the in the best possible way. It's changing. It's moving, you know. So that's something that they definitely have to improve upon, but they are, obviously. <laughs> this isn't me telling them to do it. These are mm -hmm. engineers just constantly improving upon this Just stuff. things we can look forward to in the future. Yes. Uh, and that's just going to keep getting better and better. And also, now game engines don't even necessarily have to carry the burden all on their own because... I have seen in the past, uh, are you familiar with the YouTube channel Two Minute Papers? No. <laughs> okay. So uh, that is Dr. Carojone of Kikir, and they go over AI-driven advancements and technologies and things like that. In a paper, I want to say from 2021, I believe, they showed a research team took uh, a machine learning data set from a city in Germany and had the AI translate in real time Grand Theft Auto and replace the trees with more realistic trees and the hills had foliage and all the cars had their proper labels and the reflections were better and it replaced all of the roads and this was all real time. So you could be playing Grand Theft Auto but you'd be playing an incredibly realistic real world version of it. <laughs> Are so you saying it's not realistic? I <laughs> I don't know what to say, <laughs> but um, it's 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 its own thing. It's, yeah, it's got style, you know. <laughs> you know they style. they based Los Santos off of L.A. and I remember when I used to live in L.A. I could literally find my my apartment, the beach I was next to. All of it was on there. It was crazy. <gasps> That's actually really awesome. It's not the most hyper-realistic graphic style, but they did a really good job on matching it to the actual geography. That's amazing. And I also love the play on words with the name. Los Santos. The, the Saints? The I imagine. City of Angels. Yeah. So uh, Los Angeles is the angels, right? And then mm -hmm. Los Santos would be the Saints. It's like, oh, that's close nice. enough. <laughs> That's actually really cool. And I think that they did an amazing job with the graphics, especially since they were trying to get it to run real time and everything. Mm -hmm. So this experiment was uh, just something that we can potentially also look forward to. So it would be really interesting if somebody releases a game and, you know, people might have differing opinions on this, but such as Grand Theft Auto or even an indie game or anything. And Stardew Valley. Oh, Stardew Valley. There we go. And yet somebody can turn on a filter 
uh, from uh, some kind of machine learning algorithm that changes it to whatever setting that they want. If they can make a hyper-realistic version of Stardew Valley, my mind will be blown. Do you really want that, though? No. Because that's <laughs> <what> you, yeah. <laughs> I kind of um, like not knowing what the villagers actually look like. I think it's I know. I'm not sure if a bunch I'd want to see. I don't the, think I'd want to see a hyper-realistic cliff. He, he annoys mm. me. <laughs> yeah. He's the mayor, right? He's the blacksmith, I think. Is oh, oh, oh yes. It's been a while. Yes, yes yeah. you're right. Mayor Lewis, I think, is the... Mayor. You can see a hyper-realistic version of his boxers that he leaves in Marnie. Ew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I uh, want to see that. <laughs> no. For anyone who's not familiar with the art style, what would you say? How would you describe it? Like pixel art? 2D pixel art? I would art? definitely describe Stardew Valley as 2D pixel art, which is very, very resolution uh, 2D images. And you can see pixel by pixel. It's, a, it's an art style in itself. Uh, lately it has had in the in the last decade I would say a resurgence in popularity Mm -hmm. and it's where instead of somebody drawing out an eye for instance they might just have a dot with two more dots that represent eyelashes Mm -hmm. that's the simplest way I think I could explain it what's your take on pixel art no I think you explained it perfectly I think it's it's a, a simple clean cute style not hyper realistic at all hence why I would be so fascinated if they did uh, apply that technology to kind of recreate the landscape and the people. I'd also be creeped out, but I'd be impressed. <laughs> yeah. But and it's it a great w- game. I highly <laughs> recommend it. It is. It's a fantastic game. It was a top seller for a reason. And you know what's really interesting about this, though, is if people do have the power to just change graphics at will, it can actually change the tone of a game. So if you have a hyper-realistic Stardew Valley, all the cutesy things they're doing yeah. or... You know, it's is that gonna change for you? Because it actually has some poignant and uh, moments in the game. So, what would mm-hmm. hyperrealism do for you? Oh, yeah, I don't think it would add anything to the game per se. It would, it would make it, um, like you said, just a whole different vibe. Because I feel like it's so cartoonified that it's kind of an escape. From reality so if you make yeah. it look more like reality suddenly the topics in the game become a little bit darker I think just by yeah. nature that was incredibly well stated you said it so perfectly <laughs> oh thank you uh, I don't I can't even imagine phrasing that better that <laughs> perfect and also just my own uh, concern perhaps with people changing graphics but ultimately mm-hmm. they can do whatever they want I mean mods have been around for a long time and yeah you know. have you ever played a game and added a mod to the point where you re- regretted it or changed the experience <laughs> uh, or, or maybe you had a great time with the mod I don't know oh I think the game that I have modded the most was probably Skyrim <laughs> yeah I think that's a very popular one how did you mod Skyrim Did you make everyone naked? It's a little embarrassing. I didn't do the naked one. (laughs) I didn't do the naked one. But what I did was possibly no less embarrassing. So I beat it first, um, completely vanilla. And for those not who don't do not mod, vanilla just means the original game graphics, the way that the developers intended, right? So Mm -hmm. I beat it the first run completely vanilla. And then on the and that was when I played my orc, which is where I get my a wandering orc namesake from it's Mm -hmm. from stub stub my my two-handed uh 
incredibly large sword wielding tube top wearing orc and that that is on youtube at a wandering orc correct that gameplay yeah it is so if anyone is interested picture of her yeah <laughs> see the origin yeah that is the origin of that character and that was not even uh that was before i even started let's playing so that was just my own personal thing uh but my character after that i went kind of ham with the mods so i downloaded a martial arts mod so that i wow yeah so i could spin and kick dragons to death which sounds (gasps) very macabre but (laughs) it was very fun to play and then also i had and here's where you can feel free to judge me but i thought it was very fun uh there was like a big booty mod And there was oh, a whole set of clothes my. that altered your clothes for it. So I had this like, this like, I don't know. She was uh, what do you like curvy, uh, badass who would run around and punch and spin kick dragons to death. Wow! And I had a fantastic time. <laughs> what a dream! What I a know, dream. I know. And the environments were prettier. It was back before they did. They're enhanced editions, so I had mod enhanced graphics mm. and took a lot of time. If a bug happened, if my game crashed, you know, then you have to figure out, oh, which mod is crashing it, right? Mm. Just kind of circling back. I'm looking forward to uh, AI and machine learning just getting, like, working in tandem with video games and video game engines and just making it, our experience even better, mm-hmm. right? And, like, can you imagine... Right now, uh, a character artist is a specialized 3D artist that you would have on your game if you were making a 3D game for for a AAA title. And normally, if you want wrinkles or something in a character's skin, they would have to sculpt those things in or apply a texture that looked like it. Uh, But can you imagine if you could essentially deep fake your own game engine characters and put the wrinkles on? So you can just have like a very basic face shape and then make it look like whatever you wanted. You could essentially import yourself into the game. You could. Wouldn't that be incredible, especially in VR? (laughs) Yes. That could be really amazing. So, Do you think games will ever get so realistic to the point that it becomes a true simulation of real life? I do think that. I also think the more realistic that games get, the more stylized games will continue to come out. And you'll keep seeing pixel art games. Mm -hmm. Or I've noticed recently as AAA games just get better and better looking, right? Um, Lately, people, there's a trend where they're creating new games in a PS1 style, so the Ah. PlayStation. And so they're trying to get that sort of, jaggedy or jagged look on like the the characters if you would notice like there would be like a bit of flicker in their form back Mm -hmm. in the day and things like that and they're trying to get like the aliasings they're trying to make them like that pixelated like the camera can't quite render them at a high quality and it's a little bit darker and not all the colors are there and so there there's a trend in that so I think as we continue to get like hyper realistic to the point of real world simulation which i absolutely think will happen (laughs) yeah i think we will not lose that artistic creativity and stylized like gameplay that a lot of people have grown to love so do you think 
Do you think that's an act of rebellion against the advancement of technology? Or do you think that it is, if I can't compete at the same level as these top companies, because I don't have the resources, then I need to go the opposite direction and kind of dial it back and do a more simplistic Hmm. style? Well, I think historically it's been both. But I think in the future, it. I don't think that people even need to worry about the second point. I don't think anything will be beyond anyone's grasp as AI mm. gets better and better. Um, but I I do think right now it is definitely both from mm-hmm. time to time. Uh, but I think for the most part it will be a stylistic choice and people will just enjoy playing with different styles or creating new styles. Because uh, we've seen this push for realism before. Mm-hmm. It happened in, I want to say, about the 2010s and everyone, you know, crisis and everything was like the benchmark and the, the cry engine and they were talking about realistic foliage and everything was browns and greens and <laughs> mm-hmm. it was just, it was, in my opinion, kind of an ugly time for gaming, but that's because I really like bright colors and vivid and stylized and things like that. And that's when a whole bunch of indie devs came onto the scene and were making like more pixel art games and colorful games and stylized games. So just based on like the pattern there that I've seen, like even throughout my time of being in this industry, yeah, that's definitely going to, that's going to keep going. But uh, what about you? What do you, what would you think of it if, if like games get to the point of being a realistic, like graphically realistic to the point of simulation? Would you feel comfortable with that? Would you like it? Like, what do you think? Ooh. Okay. So I do think this is inevitable. Okay. I think that I don't mind when it's on a PC or on a console, but when it turns into a VR experience, almost like Ready Player One, that's where I start to get a little, uh, a little. Let me throw away my computer and move to a cabin in the woods because <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. But see, so you can throw away your computer and move to a cabin in the woods in VR. Oh no! (laughs) No, no, I don't. I reject this reality. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's so impressive how far technology has come. But I mean, at a certain point, I think when people start living in a simulation, and you know what? Maybe we live in a simulation right now, and maybe I don't even know. And I'm, it's okay. You know, it's all right. Yeah, I mean, so maybe I'll enjoy it. Maybe I won't even know I've slipped into a new simulation. A, 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 the doll within the doll within the doll. The, 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 the nesting, nesting dolls? Nesting, yeah, the Russian nesting dolls. What is the actual name of those? Because I, I think of it every once in a while, and then I'm like, oh, I should look that up, and then I forget. Oh, let me look. They are the uh, Matryoshka doll. Matryoshka. Matryoshka. That's Matryoshka? it. Matroska dolls. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so like a Matroska doll or a nesting doll. Mm. Uh, well, I do I do like that. Also, if we are in a simulation, my one hope is that we're not in an accidental simulation, like an off-to-the-side simulation or one that could easily a beta. be deleted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just, I want to be a main simulation. I want to be important in something that somebody cares about so they're not just going to delete it. <laughs> That's all I want. yeah. Okay. You have main character syndrome. I no, I'm definitely not the main character. No, that is 100. percent I am not the main character. You think you're an NPC? 
I absolutely 100% am an NPC and I know why. Why? Well, in my experience in role-playing games, the main character is always the emptiest character. It's the one that you can fit a personality (laughs) into. And I am definitely an NPC because I have very strong opinions and I (laughs) I just, uh, I'm... I, I have a backstory and everything, and I just... So you're saying you're more special than the main characters, is that it? I, I think oftentimes NPCs are actually more likable than the main character in yeah. role-playing games. That doesn't mean that the main character isn't important. Obviously, they're the reason for everything existing. <laughs> but you have to have your interesting side characters. Mm, right? That's true. I'm pretty so. sure I am the villain. I love that. You're such a low-key villain, though. <laughs> like, you're so cool. You're chill. You're chill. You're chilling. Yeah, I mean, I don't really do anything, but um, I just, I just, I don't know. I think I'm like, um, I, I'm the person that lives in a cabin in the woods, and I've uh, created some protective bubble, a curse around me that doesn't allow anyone to enter, and I just have woodland creatures and oh yeah but no one's no one's allowed on my property that's the kind of villain I am but I live on a property filled with gold so people are trying to come and get it so really I I appear to be the villain to the main character with no personality but they are encroaching on my land Mm -hmm. and villains are always chock full of character Mm -hmm. so yeah I mean, yeah, and and ultimately, I have definitely had some conundrums in video games where I'm like, well, I think I'm actually the villain right now. <laughs> so I think that would make that would paint the main character as a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you I think, think so. I feel like any heroes trying to slay a dragon to take the horde or something mm-hmm. isn't that pretty villainous? At the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're they're, they're killers. Yeah. yeah, say you you take a dragon that has carefully collected this horde. Um, Although I suppose if they've taken it from burning down villages and things, then in that case, it would be like a quote from Princess Bride and like, you're trying to steal what I've rightfully stolen. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. So I guess at that point, maybe they're both villains and it all yeah. evens out. But in your case, yeah. Yeah. Characters. Definitely a villain. <laughs> I love that though. Thank you. So there is something I wanted to show you to sort of follow up this whole thing because I made something for you. I mentioned oh. it earlier. <laughs> uh, I did, I put something together. I mentioned MetaHuman on Unreal. And I believe it's okay to show this because I saw other people showing stuff on mm-hmm. it, even though it's in beta. I took a little video sort of for how it works so you can get an idea. Okay, so I have the video open. Um, it seems to be a character creation screen. So they are putting different hair, specific eye colors on a facial model, and giving you a lot of details for customization uh, in terms of features, expressions, makeup, etc. Yes, and one of the things that MetaHuman is supposed to do is democratize the character, am I saying that correctly? The character creation process, so to make it available for everyone. It's not just high-end, triple-A designers that can create these characters anymore, And these characters, you would definitely need those designers even a few years ago. But now they're letting you do it real time. Anyone can do it. That's the point of it. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's a fairly impressive system. This reminds me of the Sims character creation uh, with the new, the new Sims. 
so you can actually touch the nose and kind of push it up or you know make the cheekbones higher just by dragging clicking and dragging yeah. so very impressive Ooh. I will say I am familiar with the system you're talking about. I actually think the character creator in The Sims gives you a bit more control. Hmm, why this do you one, say that? Well, this one is trying to keep the characters realistic so they stop what you can do. Uh, or when you pull something, it will alter something else. Okay. Whereas in The Sims, they give you a little bit more creative control and you can kind of pick <laughs> and pull wherever. That's you one can. way to put it. You can create <laughs> monsters in that game. You, you can absolutely create monsters. But in this sense, they're just trying to give you like a realistic base. Yeah. I can see somebody was able to bake their own face by morphing it into a metahuman character. You can do things like that. But um, as far as the base control, like The Sims, it's going to give you more of an opportunity. So... Amazing. Uh, yeah, this is really incredible technology. For anyone who wants to watch it, we will include this in the video edition of the podcast, which is on Spotify and also YouTube. Yes. Uh, and then you can take the character and put it in various poses just to see how it's looking or mm -hmm. adjust the facial animations, which are already set up for you. All you have to do is click a button. So it's very... You can even adjust the teeth. You can make them... Uh, more or less irregular. You can adjust the plaque color and wow. how much there is and the tooth color and the gum color. We've been able to have 3D models on things like Sketchfab uh, for a while, which actually Unreal bought as well, or Epic bought <laughs> as well. But, uh, but to have all of these relatively good-looking shadows and transparencies, uh, which would be the, the see-through parts of the hair, and so many layers of it, that's that's fairly new in the last few years. Okay. Uh, you might have had it before, but it wouldn't have run nearly as well. So this is definitely another optimization thing that came into play. So you can see the final result there, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, this can is you, amazing. Can you see the name of it on the uh, video of the little character on the left? Oh, my God, it's me. It's you. It's supposed to be you. Now, oh, that's a way prettier version of me. Thank that you. That is not true. I couldn't make it nearly pretty enough, actually. So oh. what I did, I actually went back in to alter it as I got used to it, used to the system and everything. Uh -huh. So what I have here is the the final version of your 3D face. Oh, my God, I, I love this. Yes, so it's the, it, that, this one I think looks a lot more like you. So once again, this is this is from MetaHuman. It's a 3D uh, character creator uh, model that I took snapshots of, and then I put those snapshots because I couldn't get the proper hair and I couldn't get the proper makeup in MetaHuman. I put it in an app called FaceApp to put hair on it, to put makeup on it. So now looking at these these end result images, which I was trying to make Danny. <laughs> I was trying my best. Uh, I couldn't even get a middle part, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there you go. That's the surprise. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. I, The way you pull out all these surprises, I'm like, how did you do this in a week? I don't understand <laughs> how. I, mind blowing. Yeah, the um, end result is amazing. Yeah, it, it could be a character on or a person on uh -huh. Instagram. I love it. So yeah, it's still not it's still not quite you, but I think I think I got it. It's, it's got the essence. It. It's got the spirit, or it's, <laughs> it's got that villainous vibe. Yeah, I'm ready for the simulation. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Just pop this one 
like on mm-hmm. your deep faked VR version of yourself, <laughs> like all ready player one in the future. We're good to go. Oh, so many layers. So with all of these new developments, is there any technology you feel like is really missing or you could really use in your projects? Ooh, oh my goodness. I like that. So one of the things that, oh boy. Um, so I tend to make smaller things or more stylized things. So the character creation systems, they interest me less. I think they're very cool. I think they're incredible. I love that people can use them and anyone can use them. The things that I'm looking forward to the most, I think, are the, that I would like to integrate are the hair simulations, which Mm -hmm. I think are very cool. I would like to also integrate better cloth simulations so that my characters can wear cloth that moves around with Mm. their body easily and like it still runs at a high frame rate or maybe you know if I'm creating a fashion game or something it just makes it that much easier to do which is something I would like to do I was gonna say I want to play that game immediately yeah I I have one I have one in the world but I can't work on it until after I finish my game dang it I have to stay focused I have to stay focused I'm doing it almost Almost done almost done (laughs) Uh, but yeah so I'm really looking forward to incorporating those things specifically I think in the very near future, as things like ChatGPT continue to be popular, I'm looking forward to that stuff being integrated right into the game engines mm-hmm. so that it can do things for me yep. right inside of them and have specialized versions of them, kind of like what Adobe is doing with Adobe Firefly that's specialized to their systems. And I just, I want to see it all work together. I want to see it integrate. I want to be really lazy and have an amazing outcome. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Love it. Uh, it. Yeah, just make things quicker and quicker. As Danny has mentioned, I do the two day the two day game jams and things like that. So yeah, I would love to get better results in just two, two day days. two day game jams being there's a challenge going on, there's a theme for a game. You interpret that theme however you want and you create a video game in two days. And yep, then people exactly. vote on their favorites and I think the community is really supportive, aren't they? Yeah, they generally are. You can get some really good communities, uh, especially over the pandemic. You just saw the communities just absolutely boom with popularity. Mm -hmm. Just so many more people, thousands, thousands and thousands more people. Uh, Just for the instance of one of my favorite game jams, it used to have about maybe two to 3,000 people, I think. And then over quarantine it jumped to like 8,000. Wow. (laughs) So lots more people in it. So I think everyone can really benefit from all this tech that's going around, Mm -hmm. including people who are newer to it and things like that. So that's super exciting. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much for your rundown of game engines. This is a topic I didn't really know anything about besides my early days of game maker. I mean, (laughs) can't forget about that, but, uh, brilliant, (laughs) but This gave us a lot of context and things to look for in the future and also to keep an eye out for this kind of technology being used in commercials and movies and in more mainstream projects, even outside of video games. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. Yeah, it's such a deep topic. I feel like there's a lot that I didn't cover, obviously, but I just I highly recommend anybody who's interested, you know give it a try. It's a really cool technology, obviously. It's been around for a while. It keeps getting better. It's amazing to jump into. There's all Mm -hmm. kinds of assets. If you want to just pop them in a scene and play around, (laughs) see what that game engine can do for you. (laughs) 
Beautiful, beautiful. Well, with that, let's move on to the listener questions portion of the podcast. So first question here, how long have you two been playing video games? What got you into it? What's kind of our history, our background of video games? This is where they're trying to decipher our age. <laughs> What's happening right now? We'll never tell. <laughs> we'll never tell, except we you, you know, probably figure it out. But yeah. <laughs> uh, how long have we been playing video games? Mm-hmm. Danny, how long have we been playing video games? Since the N64 days. The, yeah. The early days. Yeah. Since the 50s. Since 1952. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with not X-naught. <laughs> um. Yeah, since I would say the N64 and then PC games, probably a little bit before that, really, really, really old games mm. at our grandma's, in our grandma's oh, on her computer. Yes, what was it, King's Quest? Was that uh, one of them? King's Quest is one of the, the older games. I don't, now here's where my timeline gets fuzzy, so I think that one, the particular one, I think it was King's Quest Eight, the cartoony one okay. that came out, and that probably would have been after the N64. Four, but now I'm getting all fuzzy. I don't know. You're right. How do people remember like what age they were when they did things? <laughs> yeah. No, I think just just generally. So yeah, we've been playing video games kind of our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of siblings and I feel like the video games were a really good kind of bonding activity for all of us and also a good so. way for our, uh, for our parents to kind of shut us up and keep us distracted. So... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> not that I don't blame I, them one bit. <laughs> yeah, not that I was complaining. I I loved it, and yeah. um, I will say that we have five total kids in our family, and I am the youngest. And so back in the N sixty four days, as anyone who's familiar, there are four controllers, there are four players, and I, as the youngest was excluded frequently i had to i had to sit there and watch and now that's why Uh, i do twitch because now people can watch me (laughs) okay but i do strictly remember no i'm gonna cut this part out (laughs) you and one of our other siblings Uh playing super mario 64 and i just sat there and watched and 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 did what could potentially be a creepy thing of carving faces and baloney. <laughs> do you remember that? I do. Yeah. No, oh my God. You have always been an artist. You would take slices of baloney and you would carve almost like a jack-o'-lantern. You would carve faces into the baloney. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, and then share the baloney with you guys. Uh, yeah. No, I, I absolutely hated baloney then and I hate it now, but I would still eat it. I know because you're a good sister and you <laughs> appreciate interpretive art. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah, Super Mario. Yeah. I don't even know if I ever finished that. I think I got it's one of those games that got to the end, just like Legend of Zelda, and then I just never completely finished it. It's very strange. Yeah, you guys did get really, really far in it though. Mm-hmm. I I know that I finished I did finish Ocarina of Time, but man, it's such a long time ago now. I've played it a couple times since just in the remakes and it still mm-hmm. holds up. Yeah, game. that's one I want to go back to and I want to play in current day and I want to actually finish it because I know I got to the very end of Ganondorf's fight and then I just, I have a, a some sort of psychological thing with even reading books. I'll get to the last page and I just will not read it because I don't want it to end. I think that's it. And then I just oh, yeah. never know. I 
understand that. I have almost beat five Final Fantasy games so far, I think. Mm -hmm. And I get to the final, final boss. You know, like the boss always transforms into something bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And then I wind up quitting for some reason or another. Yeah. (laughs) And in our defense, every time I have beat a video game, sometimes it makes me a little sad after. Because it's like you put so much time into it. You you spend so much time with these characters and then you have to say goodbye. And same with books. (sighs) Absolutely. And you get that melancholy mm-hmm. after finishing like a, a media experience, whether that's like books or mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think I've ever gotten it with a movie, truthfully, but I have gotten it with a TV show on occasion. Yeah. A TV show, maybe a movie series. Mm-hmm. I don't think I have enough time during a, an actual film to get attached. Yeah. I think that's it. It's like the time sink and literal like relation in the in the sense of video games like mass effect or something the relationships mm-hmm. you're building oh, <laughs> right mass effect tear my heart out I so know. good and mass effect is for those that may not have played it uh i would say a sci-fi epic role-playing game space epic where, space epic yeah there we go a space epic role-playing game where you're making choices and you're building relationships good or evil with characters yes good emphasis or on evil, evil. <laughs> yes uh <laughs> And you're kind of moving through the universe and your choices matter for the most part. So, yeah. Yeah. So you can like, you can kind of build relationships in that. And there's romance and and classic Bioware. Also, Dragon Age is another such series Mm -hmm. that I've just, but you know what though? Once I beat it once, I'm not above beating it again. Dragon Age, I have beat the entire series like three times. Wow. I've played it a lot more than that, but I've only beat it like three times all around. Uh, but it's just you build those relationships and then uh, a few months go by or in my case, a few hours. And I'm like, OK, I'm ready to play. Through <laughs> Bam. Yeah. Especially those choice based games where you've played it one way and now you get to experience it in a completely different way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the really cool things about video games. Yes. Actually. yes. So. so in short, we've been playing video games for a very, very long time. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen them come a long way and through the various incarnations and how they used to look and how they used to play to like the modern sort of, you know, gameplay mechanics. I mean, Danny's still a gamer. Uh, I'm still a gamer. And if you're ever interested in hanging out with Danny while she games, she is on Twitch at Danny Dutch TV. I am. (laughs) And you are a wandering orc. And one day you will do more gameplays one day i will i need to finish making my own game first and then i will do more it's on my list it's my list of things i want to do that won't let myself do because i'll get distracted Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's another question um how is your new indie game coming along because you are doing that you are creating it completely by yourself every single asset of it down to marketing and release is being created by you this is true and music Mm -hmm. it's the whole thing uh, but it's coming along fairly well. So it is still almost done. I feel like it has, again, been in the almost done stage for a while, but it is for real almost done now. I have like two more cinematics to make. And so those are small uh, videos or little uh, machinima. Is that the word where you're animating in game? Is it machinima or machinima? I never knew how to say it. But you're animating the little characters, and it's a thing that you'll see in the game engine before the actual level plays. I have two of those left, Mm -hmm. and then a couple more scenes that are just real chill scenes, just very unlockable. And then it will be done. I have friends, game developer friends, who are like, it's done. Why are you still working on it? It's been done. Why don't you just release it? Yeah. But 
I gotta put in these things. I don't know what it is. They just, they have to be there. Yes. I think that you've been working on this for quite some time now. It's, you might as well do it right. You know? Do it. Exactly. Be the perfectionist you are and (laughs) (laughs) take your time. I appreciate you enabling me. (laughs) Yes, I understand it. You know, the last thing you want to do is release something that's not 100% your vision. Yeah. Or at least 96%. I'll accept 96%. (laughs) I will. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. Have you, since testing out ChatGPT on video games, have you incorporated any sort of AI or ChatGPT into uh, the video game? I know it's kind of at the end, so it would be a bit uh, much to do it now. In, but Into one fine tourney? Uh, I haven't yet, no. I, I will probably experiment with that in future games, but right now I'm in the flow and I don't really need anything since it's since I've already coded the whole thing pretty mm-hmm. much uh, I don't really need anything complicated enough that I think I would need AI help in figuring out necessarily and I have my own uh, templates or things that I just work from but in the future for sure if I'm trying to figure things out I would love I would love at least in future code to be like hey chat GPT is this clean code tell uh, me so just so it can like compliment me some more <laughs> dig that I like it yeah so yeah I don't know not okay. yet so kind of as a, a QA tool you could see yourself using it as a backup check 100 percent yeah. yeah, it seems super useful for that. What about you? Are you going to incorporate it into your game maker legendary game? Oh, man, I don't I don't know if it could grasp the the artistry of endless infinite platforms. I don't maybe maybe I'll see there, what it's got. There is a lot of nuance in perishing and becoming the platform <laughs> that I'm not sure chat GPT could quite grasp mm-hmm. at this point. So. Yeah, I think I think I'm a little too advanced for the AI at this point. But you're right. you know, maybe in time. And, yeah. <laughs> Give it like 10, 20 years. It'll, yeah. it'll catch up to you. Yeah. But, yeah. but you'll be moving too. So will you have surpassed it again by then? <laughs> Who knows? Time will tell. Got to stay yeah. tuned. It's true. <laughs> Final question here. Thoughts on how the pyramids are made and how difficult it is to replicate it today. So I will say... This is something I'm fascinated by, and I kind of want to dedicate a whole episode to this, or at least a portion of an episode to this. So I I think it's insane that we haven't fully figured it out yet. And there's a lot of ancient technologies and ancient things that were lost to time and to not having records, uh, adequate records of said things. And I I just think that's fascinating that things can get lost in time like that. So I, it is something I want to dive deeper into because I think it's a, a pretty crazy phenomenon. Absolutely. And I love topics like these as well. And just talking about old tech and mm-hmm. how it may or may not differ from new tech. I think, did you, this is now, this is slightly <laughs> tangential, but did you hear that a new chamber was actually discovered in one of the Great Pyramids recently? Yes, I actually heard something about that. Was it, it was around uh, the King's Chamber or something? Was that, right? What did I, they discover about it? Uh, I think what they think it was, was some kind of water reservoir or something like that. But the technology they used to do it, I believe, is fairly new. If I recall, and this was, I read this like a couple months ago, or I think, 
So I'm just doing this again from memory, mm-hmm. ha, 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 as we do. But uh, they use some kind of like bouncing radiation technology to find it. Uh, so, and I cannot remember the type, but it, I don't know. That's really exciting too. We might be able to find even more out about mm-hmm. the pyramids and solve these mysteries. Yes. And- I think that's one of the most interesting things is that it's been around for forever and we're still discovering things about it. It's yes. just, it, you know, it's one of the last great mysteries left in this digital world. And I just yeah. love that. And it's man-made. Or is it? Or <laughs> aliens. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Aliens. Shout out to ancient aliens. <laughs> I love that show. Yeah, I know. That's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that is all the listener questions for the week. Thank you so much, everybody, for sending those in and for just being so positive and supportive with the podcast. Again, we are just having so much fun with this and enjoy talking about these things with you from week to week. So if you want more of us, you can follow us at Sisters Processing on all socials and Sisters Process on Twitter. Uh, you can also go to sistersprocessing.com where you can find all our podcast links and so many options. Yeah, so much information on there as well. And also on any of those platforms, you know, feel free to like, follow, subscribe, give five stars. You know, if you like our if you like our um, wild and uh, exploring tangents, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you've made it this do. far. <laughs> yes, if just you're go ahead. This, if you're still here, <laughs> just, do, just do it. Uh, but I do have a little bit of information for you, Danny, and it actually oh. harkens back to episode one of Sisters Processing when we were talking about deep fakes. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of an update for you. Okay. So I discovered this just before we started recording, and once again, it's on Two Minute Papers. I, I believe it's a new episode, and it is actually talking about deep fake detection mm. and how good it is getting. Oh, good. So as an update there, because I know that it wasn't very good at, or at the the paper that you were citing at the time mm-hmm. that we recorded. But yeah, so some new deep fake detection. It can even tell you what type of deep fake it is, what kind of information was changed and the algorithm that it was based on. Wow. So it is getting very good. Um, one of the comments on the video that I saw and I agree with is this does remind me as well of the the virus uh, slash uh, anti-malware sort of race where, you know, hackers will create new viruses and then mm-hmm. uh, protective antivirus systems will uh, try to step it up and, and overcome them. And then it just bounces back and forth. Yeah. And so I think so, the deep fakes will probably get into that. Yeah. Know? So they'll both be constantly learning and trying to outrun each other. Exactly. Oh, fascinating. So, it is good to know that the detection is, you know, pretty robust. Yes, so. that's actually really encouraging because the deep fakes are getting really, really good. Mm-hmm. But also worth noting, it is a private company, I believe, that is making this. Uh, so that still, I still stand behind that whole like that competition or whatever to mm-hmm. make the deep fake detection, where they offered like a small, I, I'm going to call it a relatively small sum of money for what they were. Yeah, it was a million dollar prize, and from all the biggest companies in the world, you know. <laughs> and in and, comparison, this technology, especially if they are getting so good, they're probably going to be the top dog, and they're going to make a lot more than a million dollars. More than likely, yes. Especially if governments want to use it and Mm -hmm. just all kinds of things. Good, good for them for holding Mm -hmm. out, or at least good for them for making this technology. It's actually, um, it's a relief to know that someone's (laughs) working on it and doing a good job. Yes, beautiful. (laughs) 
Yes. So just a little update. So uh, thank you everyone so much for watching. And we'll see you next time with, an, a, you know, a hitherto unknown topic. <laughs> but About we, tech and life and tech life. Whatever that is. <laughs> Thank you again for watching Sisters Processing. 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 <laughs> Processing. <laughs> Processing.